Well, it's a great pleasure to welcome to join us this morning the political analyst. Um, he, of course, uh, is awake, and we really appreciate you making the effort to come to join us this morning, Dr. Levy and Doe. Dr. Ndoe, good morning. Good morning to you, Stephen. Good morning to you, Sevenzile, and the listeners at all. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Ndoe. It's good to see you as always. Perhaps a high-level thought on, on how it's all, it's all played out currently. And uh, perhaps if we can just jump into, and that's top of mind uh, for me as well, just this question of unity. All right? if, if, if anything, we didn't see a lot of that yesterday. There was some dis disunity, but again, we shouldn't necessarily be fooled or um, you know, lo look at the theatrics from some quarters and say that that's necessarily a definition of disunity in the party. How do you see it? In the past years, when the ANC would have its gatherings, um, they would always um, have a motto that talks about unity. Unity in action, consolidating unity, uh, ensuring everything will be about unity. And that, for me, sends a message that something appears to be wrong in the ANC in relation to unity and working together. And um, approaching the 55th conference, the one that we're having now, it was quite clear um, uh, that the ANC is not united. And there's, of course, a build-up. Mm. From 2007, when the ANC went to a conference in Pulukwane, there were clear signs of divisions in the ANC. And the ANC has not been able to bring the different groupings uh, that would emerge. Um, pre- and post-conference. And most of these um, uh, groupings, um, which are uh, referred to as factions within the party, are mainly informed by contestations for positions in the, in the ANC. Yeah. It is not mainly, uh, in my view, ideological. It is about access to positions in the ANC, which guarantees comrades to have positions of influence in government. Is that what the president was saying yesterday when he said, members come to me and say, President, it's the leaders who are dividing us. And I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but that was his message. He's making a direct comment about leaders and position rather than members of the ANC. Did we see um, any unity post Nazarek in 2017? Or Polokwane. <laughs> <laughs> or we did not observe that. And that has all also been... Um, a you, you check the sentiments, the, 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 the manner in which leaders of the ANC would be raising issues amongst themselves. Yeah. You, you would always sense an element of divisions. Actually, they've even gone far to an extent that members of the ANC at national level, when you, any name that comes onto your mind, you actually have to align it to a particular mm. faction. That is something that the ANC should have dealt with from 2008 mm. up to now. The unfortunate part is that it appears as if there are some members of the ANC who are quite stuck in the politics of divisions and factionalism mm. yeah. and not understanding the bigger picture why they actually joined the organization. And I was moving to, towards that, right? It surely can't just be unity for unity's sake. Many South Africans are saying, well, 
So what if if, if they they're not united, right? At, at at the end of the day, what does that actually mean for for the direction that this country takes? So if we go back to a time where we could have said that the party was in fact more united than is the case now, did that translate to a better life in this country, to service delivery, uh, to to better prospects in this country? I, I think not. Would you argue differently? Unfortunately, not. Uh, obviously. If you have members of the same organization who are not united, who are always fighting amongst themselves, you're actually going to have a very disastrous government. Because instead of expecting a minister in cabinet to join into the vision of the leader, who is the president, and knowing, of course, that this person falls onto another faction, obviously it affects the governance and this uh, uh, deliver of services. Look, when, they are, when people are um, divided, obviously there is jealousy. You don't love mm. your opponent to do better. You don't love the, the, your opponent to be seen as someone who is doing better than you're doing. And of course, it has an impact on service delivery. And that is why in some uh, um, uh, instances you'll hear people saying, Ramaphosa's uh, cabinet um, is, is, is a mixed bag of those that are supporting him and those that are uh, opposed to him. He might choose to go for, uh, for a broke, choose people that is very sure that they are going to support him, mm. isolate those who don't support him, but it might also have uh, um, negative implications on the party. Because when you, are dis, um, you isolate certain individuals, they, you give them a chance to go out, reorganize themselves, mm -hmm. and then have sufficient strength to fight against you. Um, Sebenzile was making the point that I'd been to several conferences because she was trying to find a polite way to call me old. <laughs> and um, she succeeded. And um, I sort of have two images in my head that, that sort of relate to what you're saying. The one is at, the, at, at Polokwani, in this massive hall, um, as they announced the results and that Jacob Zuma had won, Tabo Mbeki and Jacob Zuma came onto the stage and embraced each other. And these are people who've known each other, for, I mean, you know, for many years. Yes. They embraced each other. And then the other image I have in my head is immediately after we were here five years ago when Sura Ramaphosa won. And there's an image which is often used of him embracing in Kozazan Adlamini Zuma, yes. who he was contesting against. And there's that immediate recognition, perhaps, in the ANC that we're in this together, that we're still comrades. And yet, <laughs> we have the aftermath of Polokwani, mm. Thabo Mbeki being removed, you know, eight, ten months later. Um, we have Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, the minister, Dr. Dlamini Zuma, um, this week calling, you know, voting for, 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 for the impeachment process against Ramaphosa to continue in mm. parliament. So on the one side, you've got this very public recognition, which is like really important. People are doing this because they know it matters. You have to embrace your enemy. Of course. I mean, you could argue Nelson Mandela was the best in the world at that. Um, but then what happens afterwards is the problem. The unfortunate part is that when people talk about unity and working together, the question is whether they are genuine or not. Mm. Um, apparently in the ANC, people are not genuine about this unity. And they are so stuck, as I indicated earlier, into these factions to an extent that they don't want to think beyond mm -hmm. a faction. And I think it's also informed by a lot of factors that when certain politicians have to occupy 
a political position. Mm. It is because there's, there are some people who are in support of them, who supported them all over to get into such positions. And they don't want to uh, get disconnected from these people. That is what the ANC has to try and manage, to say, beyond a conference, the lobby groups, uh, the campaign uh, uh, groups that have been formed, should actually be disbanded. And not just being disbanded in words, they should stop to, dis to appear so that they work together as a one united mm. force. Mm. And maybe beyond that, the ANC has to start thinking about being organized as per provinces because it appears as if there are some negativities mm. in how the party is organized as per provinces. Because in my view, it is bringing in regionalism. Mm. Mm. It's also bringing in a, 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 a situation where people will start talking about representation in, in national mm. politics. And that is the negativity of organizing people based on these different regions. Yeah. There's so many different things to it because um, uh, you talk about regionalism and their, their linguistic issues as well, um, their race and, and other ways of, of, of identifying people issues too in, in terms of diversity, gender too. Um, but it seems to me that the, the, the problem, in a way, the problem, not, not the problem with the country, but one of the things we've seen, one of the dynamics we've seen mm. is probably, in my view, from around the, the World Cup, the 2010 World Cup onwards, there's sort of been a movement away of people from a common South African identity. It's still very important. Mm. People, everyone will respect the national anthem, although not everyone will sing the third verse. Um, and so, uh, um, and, and what you have is this sort of um, breaking apart in a way. People mm -hmm. who speak, um, you know, Shitsonga maybe are, have a different view of the world from people who speak Isizulu. And so mm -hmm. these things start to get quite complicated. And the mm -hmm. ANC has always been, it's great success, has always been it's the only organization to manage all of that. I'm mm -hmm. not even aware of a cultural movement that's managed all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wonder sometimes if the problem is not going to be an ANC problem, it's a South Africa problem. Because we're sometimes a country of many nations, and yet we're also our own nation, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is, I think, quite complicated. Maybe I need to think it through some more. But before you speak to that, uh, in, in addition, um, uh, Stephen, yesterday the president did speak to that very point that there's a subtle erosion, and I, and I quote here, mm. a subtle erosion of our principle of non-racialism, especially in practice. He went on to say the non-racial character of the ANC needs to be reflected both in its policies mm. and in the composition of its membership leadership mm. and electoral support right, and in its mobilization programs. And, and as you say, mm. it, it isn't just an ANC issue. It is a South Africa issue. It's also the first provincial executive committee of KwaZulu-Natal that anyone can remember that doesn't have any Indian South Africans in it. It, it is, of course, a, a South African issue. And if you go back to history in the formation of the ANC, they've actually uh, spoken about building a united South Africa having to fight against um, ethnicity, having to fight about uh, uh, racialism, Nazism, and so on and so on. If you look at the, at the conference um, uh, file that has been given to, to the delegates and all of us, in the do's and the don'ts, the first paragraph of the don'ts talks to the issues that we're actually talking about now. What we need to do is to have a situation where the ANC should constantly develop programs 
to talk to these issues. And the ANC says, we are the leader of society. And you need the ANC to be leading on matters similar to these ones. Mm. And in practice, the ANC should never be stuck on issues relating to regionalism, on issues relating to ethnicity, because as the leader of society, they should be championing the building up of a united non-racial South Africa. Maybe also uh, one other aspect that, in my view, we need to look at is whether it's still relevant to have bigger uh, uh, events like this one, a conference mm. of this nature with 4,000 mm. people, because it's quite difficult to manage It's 4, quite politically people. dangerous, too. It's mm. also it's dangerous. It's got serious security implications. So maybe the, uh, as we move uh, uh, and embracing the, the fourth industrial revolution, the question that ANC delegates should start asking themselves is as to whether is it still relevant mm. to have conferences of this nature. How effective are they mm. um, if you're looking at what is actually happening here? Mm. Uh, maybe it's an area where the, the, the leadership of the ANC and their branches should start sitting down and say, we can do things differently mm -hmm. and still be very effective. It's, it's also a very expensive exercise for an organization that also struggled to pay to pay its employees. We, we are, of course, still in conversation uh, with uh, Dr. Levindo. Let me quickly take a, a comment here from Tulani uh, before we, we speak to Dr. Munyai. Tulani says, um, Zubta is a counter-revolutionary and a stooge of the Guptas, and what he and his people are, was is dangerous to the ANC, and the ANC will have to act after the conference they're going on of course talking about how criminals hijacked the KZN province and, and, and so on there Tulani's message is, is long I think alluding also to uh, Dr. Do to um, the former president's entrance yesterday uh, if you can just briefly comment comment on that um, and then and, and then we'll, we'll move on but just what did, what did you make of that as, as we were talking about unity earlier on and, and how of course political foes show up and he certainly made quite the entrance yesterday well, the conference uh, dates were announced long time ago, and um, also the time of starting the conference was announced long time ago. Former President Zuma is um, a member of the National Executive Committee of the ANC. He would know all the details, um, uh, the starting times, if there are delays, he would know. Um, uh, I think uh, uh, I, 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 I support those who say that his entrance might have been staged. Um, you don't think it was? <laughs> I think it was, <laughs> yeah. and for specific reasons. Um, I think he wanted to test the waters, check whether yes, he still has sufficient support, um, uh, generally within the ANC, mm. um, uh, also to check how the balance of forces, uh, the, the mood in the conference, if he can still be able to influence the conference to move towards a particular direction. Um, he has enjoyed a lot of support uh, uh, over a period of time. And now that he does not um, have any influential position anymore, he will still want to check whether he's still seen as relevant within the ranks of the ANC. It was quite disruptive, of course. Um, but if the intention was to be disruptive, 
then of course he has, he has been able to achieve mm. his objective mm. of saying, I went there to disrupt and it actually happened. Mm -hmm. Dr. Levian Doe with us this morning, uh, live, of course, from Nasrik, Sebenzilin, Kambula, and myself. Uh, Dr. Ndau, um, sometimes there's this sort of tradition among political journalists, I shouldn't say this, is that when, when the president gets to the international relations section, you know it's time to wrap up and start packing up because he's kind of done. Um, but the burning conflict, of course, at the moment, which is having such a big impact on us, is what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. And the president talking about that yesterday because it leads to energy, it leads to inflation, it leads to all of these things, and these are all of the problems. Um, and yet the president's taking quite a kind of careful line yesterday, I thought, on that. Well, I think he had to do so in the sense that um, he has to try to be to trend very, very carefully. Um, he would not love to um, behave in a manner that uh, would create some form of discomfort to um, his traditional uh, allies. And um, equally, the president or South Africa has been criticized very harshly by a lot of people about its stance on the Russian-Ukraine uh, uh, position. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he might have said, let me not deal too much with this one. Um, it's a matter that uh, uh, as government, they still have to sit down and, and, and make decisions. But um, of course, you'll still have a lot of people wanting to know what exactly is our stance as South Africans uh, in the um, Russia-Ukraine crisis. Uh, you'll have uh, MPs, uh, uh, in parliament saying something different mm. or wanting to persuade government to adopt a particular line. And South Africa appears to be saying, I think for now, we're still safe with our stance. We'll see what happens as we move forward. And that is why, in my view, the president had to avoid dwelling too mm. much into this matter. Dr. David Munyai joining us now. Dr. Munyai, good morning. It's been ages since you and I shook hands. So <laughs> nice to have you with us this morning. How did you see the president's comments on the Russia-Ukraine conflict? Do you agree with Dr. Endow taking quite a careful line yesterday? I think he was consistent with the South Africa foreign policy. The very first thing uh, I think he did quite well, I must say, um, was to um, reinforce the view that South Africa's foreign policy is guided by the respect of the United Nations, uh, respect of international law. And he insisted um, that uh, the war, uh, Ukraine-Russia, should be resolved through a peaceful means negotiation. And I think, um, I think it was slightly tough that, um, without mentioning countries, that uh, they should avoid uh, foiling the violence and by 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 creating a conducive environment for a peaceful a resolution to the conflict. I think he was quite clear on that. Dr. Munya, Sebenzile and Kambulehe, always a pleasure. You know, the, the ANC, of course, uh, continues to, to adopt the idea of, of progressive internationalism. Um, I've, I've always, you know, in, in, in positions taken, in, in policy documents, adopted really and, and reflected a commitment to, to peaceful resolution of conflict. Uh, you know, 
we're obviously not only talking about uh, a, a massive conflict such as that between Russia and, and, and the Ukraine. We've also seen lots of conflict on the African continent as well, conflict in the region as well. Did he go far enough in that aspect? Well, of course, there always calls for South Africa at that level to, to play a far greater role and take a harder stance um, in, within the SADC region as well. Did enough of that come through in his address? I think he, uh, he went on to Morocco. He was tough on Morocco, for instance. And as you know, South Africa um, seemed to um, be one of the last countries, I mean, being so strong on the issue of Morocco and Western Sahara. And I think this has been consistent since 1994, that South Africa is not changing its view, even though most African countries seem to ease up and being persuaded by Morocco in one way or another. And on Palestinian Israeli, I think he, 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 he maintained that. And there's absolutely nothing new in terms of what he said. Is it consistent of what President Zuma has been doing, President Becky has been saying on the very same issue? So mm. I think um, for those who are demanding that South Africa changes its position on Ukraine, um, it would be really tough. One does not see under his administration or any other ANC administration that is, might come. Uh, we're going to see this consistent pro-international um, law, pro-UN uh, resolution, uh, the UN as a pillar, and therefore these views of moving away from uh, UN into NATO uh, playing this uh, role. Uh, we're not going to, mm. uh, I mean, South Africa is not going to support such moves. He, he did indeed touch on um, uh, on, on other uh, uh, conflicts, I mean, the, as well as South Africa's involvement uh, um, during the COVID uh, in terms of leaving the AU uh, on buying vaccines, and he criticized developed countries on terms of uh, vaccine nationalism, consistent mm. through and through uh, the Ethiopia conflict, I mean, and the role that South Africa played, a uh, constructive role in mm. bringing in peace mm. um, in, in Ethiopia. And therefore, I think. Uh, I was very happy uh, to hear him speak in that in that fashion. Do- Dr. Munyar, there's such a rich conversation. I'm going to ask Dr. Ndo to comment on this in just a moment. But Dr. Munyar, if we could hear from you first, please. About Morocco, about what the president said yesterday, about the fact that they're playing a football match later, um, and about, the, about how we look at identities. You know, Morocco... Uh, generally, I think, I'm no expert in this area, but may identify more as a sort of Arab country or part of the Arab world than a part of our continent. I mean, it just, it, just, it just shows you the complexity of some of our identities when it comes to international relations. That's what I think makes it so interesting. Does, uh, but I think South Africa follows the AU view that we do not divide the continent. I think the U.S. is trying to do that with their strategy on Africa, the so-called sub-Saharan. I think most of us uh, follow a Pan-African view. We don't buy into this so-called sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, Morocco uh, belongs to the African continent. It is on the African continent. So is mm-hmm. Egypt and other northern African countries. I think that argument was used during the Libyan crisis. So when it suits the developed countries, they will tend to see northern African countries as mm-hmm. Arab and therefore the Arab League as a, as a role in this. And we really do not see any need of uh, forcing northern African countries to choose between Arab um, League mm. as well as the EU. They belong to both, and therefore 
if we really need a stronger Africa, we have to look at it in its entirety. Dr. Ndau, I can give you 30 seconds. Um, do you agree? I mean, there's an interesting question about elements of identity for a nation. Well, um, you, you'd always have these kind of, of elements trying to resurface everywhere you go. But I think the, the African Union has a much bigger role to play in ensuring that the interests of Africa are supposed to be, uh, to be looked into and achieved. But equally, we cannot uh, live in isolation. We still have to relate with, uh, with other people beyond Africa uh, for the purposes of uh, our politics, our economy and social interactions.